You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 167. Guys, we are closer and closer to combine time. And uh, the madness from here until then, it, it, it certainly drags on. Look, there's not much else of anything to really talk about now. Um, yes, yeah, some guys, you know, you're still digging in, watching some tape or whatever. But, it, you know, it, it's finally, you know, when we get to the combine next week, this is where, you know, now we are full steam ahead. Thank God for baseball season starting to come back in some aspect. It's going to make these days go a lot quicker here before we get to late April and obviously the draft itself. Um, but, look, we need the combine numbers. That's going to just escalate the coverage and things we can do. And, obviously, free agency, once we get all those names, we can get to that. But uh, one of my favorite guys, James has been on a couple times before. We did the offensive side of the ball as far as his market share and the way Jim does his craft. Uh, we did have him once for us down in Mobile as he was part of the Senior Bowl. Got to check things out live there. But I did want to have him come back one more time before the combine because I know combine numbers are a, I don't want to say a big part, but a, an integral part of the work Jim does before he finally puts a grade on a player. So we're going to get to where we are here tonight. Uh, James Coburn. Uh, check him out on Twitter, at Jim Metrics. Jim, again, plug the YouTube page. I know you're doing fantastic and relentless work over there. Absolutely. On the Common Man Football Show on YouTube, uh, doing a ton of NFL draft content and NFL free agency content as well. And I have a NFL free agency guide that's available on Amazon, which if you go to my Twitter account, it's, it's a pinned tweet there. So if you guys want to know quarterbacks, running back, wide receivers, tight ends, offensive linemen, uh, in terms of analytics that are about to hit free agency, then I would highly recommend you guys pick that out as well. Yeah, always a good thing. Look, guys, Jim puts in a ton of work here. Uh, the data that he you know compiles goes back over 30 years, Jim? Quarterbacks, it goes all the way back to 1958. I'll just say that much. So uh, I don't know if you were born in 1958, Jeff. No, but, don't uh, bust those balls. Come on now. <laughs> But uh, it, it goes pretty far back. I mean, uh, defensive players 19 to 1989, and then offensive players goes back to 19. At least uh, skill position players, you know, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, goes back to 1969. So um, it, 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 so it goes back a while. It goes back pretty far, I would say, for most of the production data. Okay. Uh, guys, we're going to, like I said, we're going to stick to the defensive side of the ball. And look, guys, with 12 draft choices and the state of the Cleveland Browns and a completely new front office, and so many fresh guys in there. No position is off the board. So I do get some guys who call, you know, guys, from, you know, commenting with that is, oh, I don't think you're going to be looking at that positional group. All bets are off, guys. You got 12 draft choices. You have no idea what this front office thinks about the way this roster is. So let's not go to that route. We're going to cover as much as we can, and we're going to try to cover everything between now and late April. Uh, Jim, I guess we'll start interior D-line. Um, you know, obviously, you want to see guys who, you know, it, it's great. You know, everybody likes the pluggers, you know, the guys who are going to consume the blocks. But every now and then, you kind of got to get away from it. And, look, is is the guy, if he's going to put it, be put in a one-on-one, -on -one, is he going to make a play? Who are some of these guys, you know, through your metrics and obviously through the market sharing that you do, who have caught your eye and, you know, have shown, to, you know, that they can bring something on the next level? Absolutely. Uh, you know, when it comes to the defensive line position, I'll just get this little nugget out there. You know, a lot of people talk about nose tackles not being productive, and yet every single Hall of Fame nose tackle or Pro Bowl nose tackle was really productive. So uh, I understand that there's this misconception that 
you know, no tackles don't have to get sacks, or no tackles don't have to get tackles for loss, or no tackles don't really have to do much of anything, just plug up the middle. But at the end of the day, guys like Vince Wilford, guys like Cortez Kennedy, guys like Marcel Darius, uh, all those guys, Casey Hayes, even Dontari Poe, were really, really productive players, or at least above average productive players at their respective position. And uh, when it comes to this particular group of guys, the most productive that I have so far are guys like Maurice Hurst from Michigan. He looks a lot like uh, Darnell Dockett from a production standpoint. I, and I know you probably remember Mr. Dockett. Now, uh, Dockett was a little bit heavier on the TFL because I think he still holds the record for, for tactical loss at Florida State, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was there for a long time, so I'd be surprised if he didn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Maurice Hurst is definitely similar in terms of him from a production standpoint. Harrison Phillips from Stanford. Another very productive player, uh, Derek Nandi from Florida State. Uh, you know, one of your Florida State guys is definitely a, a pretty productive player that's going to be there as well. Uh, of course, you have uh, uh, Pola Runzu Fatukasi from Connecticut. He's a defense tackle that was at the Shrine game. Actually, he's pretty impressive, and he has a pretty decent production profile as well. Um, Tim Settle from Virginia Tech is, I think, a guy that doesn't get talked about a lot. He's kind of building up some. Uh, reputation at least. I mean, I, I hear his name kind of thrown out a little bit, but not as much as I, I like to see, I guess. And of course, Andrew Brown from Virginia, um, who the NDT guy, you know, the the, uh, the NDT scouting guys, they love uh, Andrew Brown. I and mean, he's definitely another guy that, that's very productive as well uh, at a particular place. But um, again, there's a ton of productive players that are um, going to be there, uh, but those were just the guys that kind of stuck out the most uh, from, uh, from the data standpoint, whether it was because of um, SAC, TFL, or, or different sort of uh, production points. Now let me ask you something. Now a guy who may be getting a lot of pub that your numbers just aren't dis are, are, are disagreeing with. Uh, that would be Jerron Payne from Alabama. Um, you know, Jerron Payne from Alabama, he's a different tackle. Uh, he's a guy that a lot of people have as a top 10 pick, a top 15 selection uh, by some people. But based on my data, and it's not to say that he doesn't look like he's starting nose tackle based on his production. It's just I don't have any multiple Pro Bowl or multiple All-Pro nose tackles with his production profile. Um, he just doesn't really look like a All-Pro or Pro Bowl level player. Um, same thing goes with Ta uh, Taven Bryan from Florida. Taven Bryan from Florida was the guy that some people have compared to the Dominican Sioux, according to some people. But based on his production profile, it's, it doesn't mean that he's not a potential starting caliber player. It's just that when you look at Ndamukong Su, who was a guy that was 90 plus percentile in every single category of production, you look at Taven Bryan, who is like 70 percentile in some things, and then 40 in another, it just doesn't add up. You know, when you're talking about a guy that you're considering to take in the top 15 or top 10 of the draft. So th those are just two guys that I've seen a lot of people put a lot of hype on, especially with like Jerron Payne, and I think some of it's the Alabama effect, and again, it's not to say Jerron Payne is a terrible nose tackle, it's just if you're going to take a nose tackle in the top 10 or top 15, you want them to look like the what the all-pro Pro Bowl level nose tackles look like from a production standpoint. And he just doesn't look like that, so that's the only issue with him. And, and this is, you know, it, 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 this is always a thing now we, with the Alabama players, Look, some of these guys, they burn out and fizzle so fast. And look, some of them, obviously, it's off the field type of thing. Some of it is the fact, and remember, we used to make this joke years ago on shows, you know, 
welcome to Tuscaloosa. You got your dorm assignment. Have you met your you know orthopedic surgeon yet? I mean, there's just so much that goes into it with Alabama. And part of it is that they are, you know, like right off the bat, you're playing 14, 15 games a year. There's no way around it. Uh, we've heard the we've heard the stories of what their practices are like down in Alabama. So I mean, yeah, you might get a guy coming to you from Alabama that's 22, and you know, but you know, you go back to the old you know Bosworth thing. You know, well, he's got the shoulders of a 67 year old man. It's you know, so much with these Bama guys is you know, you almost want to kind of get the late bloomers. Because, you know, the guys who played four years at Alabama, I mean, at this point, you know, what is left? I mean, you know, Nick might have chewed every little bit out of the guy that there was to have. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that's always been a criticism of Bama, or at least Saban in general, is that he's a guy who doesn't... I mean, he, he will get you to the next level, but it doesn't mean that you're going to stay there forever. So, you know, um, he, he's definitely going to get you on, on the radar of scouts and everything else like that, but... Um, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a more fruitful career, you know, or injury-free career, to say the least. Okay, now as far as, you know, the interior defensive line guys, who is a guy, in your, your opinion, where a combine could, you know, really elevate or a poor combine could really drag them down? Yeah, I think a lot of the guys that I mentioned, you know, guys mm -hmm. like Harrison Phillips from Stanford, um, he's a guy that people are kind of on the bubble with to a certain extent, um, but he's but he's a he's a guy that I've watched his film. He's he, he doesn't look like a superstar athlete, but he looks like a guy that could test relatively well, you know, well enough to be above average in a lot of different ways. And I think that he's a guy that might, if he has a good combine and sticks out, that could be a guy who kind of helps himself out a lot. Um, Tim Settle from Virginia Tech, another guy I was talking about um, before production-wise that I think could really elevate himself. Um, of course, you have the Nathan Shepard from Fort Hayes State. Uh, he's the guy that broke his hand at the Senior Bowl. Isn't he like 26? He's pretty old. I will admit <laughs> that. Um, but that's another reason why he needs to have a good combine because uh, hopefully the hand is healed by this point. I mean, uh, usually it takes about six weeks. Uh, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I'm just, you know, four to six weeks is usually how long it takes to, to uh, heal most broken bones. Um, if that's healed, then he definitely is a guy that I hope has a has a good combine because that could really help them. In terms of guys that might get, you know, that if they have a terrible combine, it's just kind of not good for them. I think guys like Lowell, Lotulele from Utah, he's a guy I know I've, I've heard, it's, it's been inconsistent with him, but I've heard a lot of different people who praised him and had him as a first-round pick at the beginning of the year. Last year, people were having him as a first-round pick, and he's a guy that, uh, honestly, I haven't, I rarely hear his name spoken of that much, and the combine is kind of the last ditch kind of thing for him. Uh, of course, Rasheem Green from USC, I guess that's the last guy I mentioned. Um, he's a guy that came out early, and not only have scouts kind of criticized how built he is, because he's a young guy and, he, and he's not exactly filled out you know, physically. From a physical standpoint, he just isn't all the way developed. So he's a guy that if he goes into the combine and, and doesn't, do very well because he's just not as physically developed as he should be, then that's definitely not going to reflect very good on him, at least in terms of him deciding to come out to the draft. All right, we're going to switch over to Edge here, and this is where I think this is probably more of a Cleveland influence. They need pass rushers. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Emmanuel Ogba, I know he rates well with you, and I don't have an issue with him, but I think the thing is, you know, and I think he will get home more once we see him and Miles Garrett play more. 
But I think you have the potential here, and everybody loves the term, you know, whether it was Daytona 500 yesterday, everybody loves the NASCAR package. So you, you, you want to be able to have you know, where you can shift Ogba inside or shift Garrett inside. So you need, and the guy, you, like I, I keep using this term, the Elvis, Elvis Doomerville type. You need a guy who's just got you know, the one-trick pony, whether it's the left side, whether it's the right side, consistently can get home. Who are some guys from this edge rusher class? Because I don't think it's elite, but I think there are guys who are good in what the role, you know, in the role of just getting to the passer. Oh, absolutely. In terms of guys that just get to the passer, um, Anthony Winbush from Ball State is a guy very Elvis, Elvis Doomerville like because I, I, he's the guy that kind of came to mind when you mentioned him. Uh, but he's a guy that is, um, looks fairly athletic on film. And I think the combine might be his coming out party because there was a lot of talk about uh, the ball, the uh, not ball state, the Central Michigan pass rusher that was at the Ostman uh, Shrine game. Ostman. Uh, who's uh, who that again? I'm sorry. Ostman. Yes, Ostman. And there's nothing wrong with Ostman. Uh, you know, he's definitely a good player. But the best Mac pass rusher to me during the year was was Anthony Winbush and I think this is going to be a good combine because he shows explosiveness off the edge he shows good speed and I think he's got that definitely can kind of show off a little bit from that perspective. Uh, they also have Ola Adenigi from Toledo who's another Mac pass rusher that kind of um, has a fairly good production profile as well. Uh, he can kind of just stick out from that kind of uh, perspective of course you have Bradley Chubb of course I mean Bradley Chubb is a guy that I think is going to uh, I think he's going to test a lot better than people um, and definitely should be considered one of the top passers in the draft class. Uh, and I guess the last comment is just Hercules Mata'afa uh, from Washington State, a guy that kind of, he's sort of like a poor man Solomon Thomas because he's not quite as big as Solomon Thomas, but I think he's as athletic as Solomon Thomas. But he's a guy that I think you might be able to get a discount with him just because of the fact that since he is a poor man Solomon Thomas, that he's not going to test as well. And, and he also is playing a funky position because he's a guy who's like 270 pounds or less. He might come in at 260 maybe. I mean, we'll see what he comes in at in, in the sideline. But he's a guy that you kind of you have a discount because you're not quite sure what he is. I mean, he definitely is. A, like, that's what I would project him as as an editor because of the size. But he's a guy that you that because of that issue, because of the fact that his production or he produced in a manner not very conducive to what his role is going to be in the NFL, you could get a discount on him and he could be an interesting sort of uh, developmental kind of guy because he's a guy who does get the pass uh, or at least the quarterback, excuse me, uh, a lot and also gets in the backfield a lot and um, for a guy that is 260 pounds and is able to do that on the inside, it says a lot about what he can do if he actually can run past that. Okay, now, you know, skipping to the combine and the testing, um, I'm hearing, you know, Josh Sweat uh, should uh, test through the moon uh, obviously, a lot of stuff with him is going to be medicals, and you know his tape is one thing. But as far as the other guys, you know, I noticed you didn't mention you know Akaranku. Uh, uh, give me some guys here that you know. Look, I mean, uh, maybe too much is put too into the combine sometimes. But I mean, if you're going to talk about this, you have to understand and you know talk about the fact that you know the way teams are going to drool over this. You put up a solid workout. Sometimes you know there are guys who are just going to kind of forget about the film. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, that's the thing about the combine, man, is it's kind of like when the combine happens, people kind of leave their brain. Like, they take their brain out, they just kind of throw it in the, in the trash sometimes when it comes to players. 
because they go there and they mess up physically and then they do the athleticism stuff and then you start to go and, and the way coaches are and this is the biggest thing about any coach is they feel like they can make anybody into a great player I mean every coach has a giant ego I mean you're an NFL coach if you're an NFL coach your ego is, is huge so you think you can turn anybody into a good football player so when you look at a guy who is physically impressive and tests amazing um, you're going to do that sort of thing but I think in terms of this particular combine I mean there's a lot of guys that I think the testing is going to not really make or break them but there I mean there were a lot of relatively productive uh, edge rushers in this draft class but there's just as questions about athleticism and of course like you said medicals and stuff like that I think the, the couple guys that I am interested in you, of course, mentioned Ogbania. He's definitely a guy that I'm actually pretty interested in seeing how he tests athletically because he's a guy who's actually fairly productive um, as well. But uh, Marcus Davenport from UTSA is another guy where, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Like, I've seen his film a lot, and I don't think he's going to test as amazing as people kind of point him out to. And I may be wrong. Again, I may be wrong. I'm not. That's the thing about watching film is, like, it's, it's you can't just – like you can't just go well he looks like a 4-8 guy in film or he looks like a 4-7 guy in film like film it's inconsistent like you don't like it, it's it just is you know it is what it is like I, I could watch one guy and say he's good and you could watch him and go oh he's bad but I think when it comes to a particular combine guys like that is a guy who's really needs a big field come on to kind of show what he can do um, Josh Split I can mention as another guy that I think very important and then there's like other guys like Arden Key from LSU, who's a guy kind of lost in the sauce a bit. Uh, where I, I don't know if he's an average or not, because he's about four years later. And I think that's the last guy I mentioned, like Sam Harper. And that's common. And those other sort of things. And I think when it comes to uh, Sam Hubbard and Chad Thomas, they really need a big combo. Okay, uh, guys, obviously you're listening to Locked On Browns, episode 167 with my good buddy James Coburn. Uh, guys, uh, John Ledyard, Trevor Sakema, uh, they host Locked On Draft. Obviously those are shows you want to be you know, getting into now. Uh, I know John's going to be out in Indy for the Combine, so go ahead and check all that out. Uh, both guys should be popping into Locked On Browns this week. Uh, pretty sure we've connected that we can have them both in. So go ahead and check out Locked On Draft with John and Trevor. Both guys work real hard, do a fantastic job over there. Now, Jim, we're going to move on over to the linebacker class. And I think it's an interesting group from the fact that I think it's a little bit, I think it's top-heavy. Everybody likes these names at the top. And then it seems like there's a drop-off. In, in, in the linebacker position, it's weird because we are so in an era now where we take safeties and move them up. And it seems to start to be a regular thing. I mean, you know, Mark Barron, Dayon Buchanan, we've seen all these guys, Ray Ray uh, McDonald, do these type of things. So it's very interesting, you know, as far as that, and it's a little early to tell, you know, the guys that are going to be guys who are on the move, maybe up into the linebacker position. But, uh, you know, you have up the top, you have Smith, you have Edmonds, you know, the kid out of out of Boise. So there are a lot of names here. Uh, who's meeting the requirements? And, and I know Mr. Smith has looked good. <laughs> yeah, Roquan Smith is, is pretty much uh, the most productive FBS linebacker uh, that is going to be there. There is a guy who's more productive than him, and Darius Leonard from South Carolina State. But 
played at South Carolina State, which is in the FCS. So you have that other layer. You know, Roquan Smith basically was really, really productive at the SEC, and Darius Leonard was really, really productive at the FCS. Not to take anything away from Darius Leonard, it's just it's a different sort of uh, category. But, uh, yeah, Smith definitely is the guy who's the top, or at least the most productive guy out of uh, the bunch in terms of FBS guys. Uh, Christian Sam from Arizona State, another guy that tested really well um, production-wise. Malik Jefferson, uh, Leighton Vander-esque from uh, Boise State, another guy who's he's in that category. T. Gray Scales, Micah Kaiser, Tremaine Edmonds, who's a guy I know a lot of people have been debating. I remember uh, whether his, you. I remember yeah. his dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because of the yeah, Virginia Virginia Tech always does that, man. They always. But I remember him as a Miami Dolphin. Man, I'm getting old, Jim. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, Trayman, and Tremaine Edwards is a guy that a lot of people are doing this sort of Anthony Barr thing, I get. But the thing is, he is really productive. I mean, that's the thing about him is that he, he ended up in a very high production uh, standpoint. Um, the Western Kentucky linebacker, uh, who's going to be there as well, is another guy who's, who was also very productive. Josie Joel from Iowa, Sky Moore. Uh, I mean, those, those were the main guys that had that at least hit all pro to pro bowl uh, production thresholds at this particular uh, combine. It's it's honestly a very strong linebacker group. I know people will debate the film and all this other kind of stuff, but I think if you need a linebacker because of the sheer amount of guys who tested as well as they did from a production standpoint, if they go to the combine and they do really well from an athletics, athleticism standpoint, then I think that there's a very good chance that some of those guys out of that group are going to go on to become really good NFL players at the very least, at least starters. I think there's going to be a lot of um, long-term starters, guys who put in 64 starts or more in their career, that sort of thing. I think that's what this class is really shaping up to look like when it comes to linebackers. Okay, um, yeah, I just want to focus on two guys because I don't even know so much just about the testing. The question is, is Smith, is there going to be concern if he measures in too small and with Edmonds, is, is there going to be a question of, is he going to measure in, and are you sure that he's going to be a linebacker because of the fact that he's 19 years old, and nobody, I mean, you can't think a 19-year-old is done growing. Is he a guy that's going to eventually going to be looked at as a edge? So, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's a testing, but those two guys, as far as what they measure in at, maybe, in my opinion, might, you know, be cause for if anything cause for you know discussion. Well, I think when it comes to, uh, to Roquan, I think if he tests well as an athlete, I don't think it'll really matter. I mean, the funny thing about the linebacker position is people always do these articles about how the position is becoming smaller or faster, this or that. This isn't a recent development. I mean, Ray Lewis, when he came out of Miami, he wasn't the same. Uh, sort of, you know, childbearing hips version that he was that everybody. No, nah, it was it was pre vitamins. Exactly, exact pre deer deer antler spray. Yes. Ray Lewis was not the biggest guy, not the biggest linebacker ever. And I, uh, and I, I've told you before that's what he looks. That is what Roquan Smith looks like on tape. Exactly. So I think when it comes to Smith, even if he comes in, he weighs two hundred twenty-five pounds or two hundred thirty pounds or whatever. As well as athlete, I really don't think it'll matter that much. Mainly because of how how that position is. Again, I hate to say how the position is changing, but I mean, this is a guy that was super productive at the SEC level, and 
I don't really see the, the whole size argument. I mean, the average weight for an NFL linebacker currently is about 235 pounds. So it's not exactly the 250-pound linebackers that everybody talks about in the 60s and you know, the 70s and everything else like that. So from that perspective, I, I don't really have many concerns for Roy Smith from a size perspective. Uh, it's pending. I mean, if he comes in anyways like 210 pounds, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of like what. But I don't think that's exactly going to be the case with him. Uh, and then with Tremaine Edwards, or Edmonds, excuse me, in his particular case, he did put up pretty good sack data, pretty good TFL data. So, but I still see him as sort of an Anthony Barr kind of thing. And again, that's if he tests like Anthony Barr as well, because Anthony Barr was a guy that tested tested amazing when he went to the combine Former um, I think receiver. Edmonds exactly and I think if Edmonds comes in and he tests really well too then I think that you have a guy that could be a candidate for you know a 4-3 Sam linebacker position or that other sort of uh, you know position so I mean I do understand like he is such a young guy that he could put on more weight and he could become a defensive end but my big thing is why mess with that just just use him as a a defensive weapon. I hate to put it that way, but like that's what he is. He's a defensive weapon. He's this guy that can you can move him around. You can put him in coverage. He can run stride for stride for most um, slot receivers and running backs. So you know he's a guy that you just kind of put everywhere. Have him rush the passer. Have him do a little bit of everything, and he can do it. So I think, and in many ways, I'm not going to say he's the next Brian Urlacher per se, but he could have that type of impact just because of how athletic he is. Because that was similar to Brian Urlacher. Who's big linebacker that could run um, and that could be a similar sort of thing with Edmonds. Oh yeah, I mean, you, you watch him, he's freaky and the fact that he's as large as he is and you throw in that he is just an absolute pup at his age, it's crazy, I mean it, it, crazy, crazy ceiling for the player he could be. Uh, now quarterbacks, it's an interesting class um, you know, everybody wants to pump Denzel Ward up to the top look, I think he's a fantastic athlete I, I don't know if I'm Googly excited about a five foot nine cornerback because if he's listed at five foot ten, he's going to be five foot nine. So I can't get that jazzed about it. Um, and I do look at it from a Browns perspective, and obviously the Jets fan, in, Jets fan in me, they like those guys who are going to jam within the first five yards and be physical. I think you've got a good class with that. Um, you have the ultimate riser to a class with a guy like Josh Jackson. Um, and anytime, and I, I've been saying this with other guys when we talk about it, anytime you got an Odell Beckham highlight on your reel, uh, that's always nice and it's always going to jazz people up. You know it's going to be played <laughs> on draft night whenever his name is called. But the quarterback right. class, uh, look, I, I think it's another deep group, and I do not want to uh, forget my guy, Jairi Alexander, because if you play the position with swag and confidence and you run your mouth, you are a guy that can play for me any day. So interesting group here. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's a tough group to crack, I'll say that much, because like you said, Denzel Ward is a guy that I do really like as an athlete, but you do have concerns about height and length and you know some limitations like that, and those are legit concerns because most all-pro, in fact all all-pro cornerbacks were at least 5'11 or higher, so you're, you already have that sort of upside-limited with him to a certain extent because of that height. It doesn't mean he can't be a, a good NFL quarterback. There's tons of 5'9 quarterbacks that have shown to be really good contributors at the NFL level. Aaron Glenn. That, 
yeah, exactly. Or Jason Verrett and a bunch of different guys. That's the one that every time I try to bring this up, that's always the one people counteract with is Jason Verrett. <laughs> I understand that, but Jason Verrett could. He, he was really athletic. He Jason Verrett had a had dog in him. He had a dog in him too. You could do like that's the thing is that the unfortunate thing for Denzel Ward is he's not quite Jason Verrett when it comes to his tackling ability and those other sort of things. Which is my main, my only beef. Denzel Ward is that I think he should tackle the little bit. But other than that, the ball skill and everything else is amazing. But yeah, Denzel Ward definitely in that category. Jari Alexander, um, Carlton Davis from Auburn is a guy oh, that beast. I'm intrigued by just because of size and those, those sort of measurable type of aspects. Uh, you know, other sort of production guy, like you said, Josh Jackson, another guy that kind of did everything that he wanted to do. Quentin Meeks from Stanford is a guy that has gotten a little bit more talk going into the combine uh mj stewart from north carolina is one of those kind of i don't want to say flyer guys but he's a guy that's been really solid throughout the pro- throughout the process from the senior bowl all the way down to his film leading up to everything and he's definitely been a guy like that and of course there's a ton of small school cornerbacks as well like michael joseph sierra neal and these other sort of guys that um, might stick out as well but uh it's a pretty strong cornerback class but just like you said, there's a lot of guys that are getting hyped to be the guy, and yet I do think that there are a lot of questions in terms of overall upside and, and those other sort of things just from a physical standpoint. Because the cornerback position is one of those positions. It's not like wide receiver, my friend. Wide receiver is one of those positions where you could be a short wide receiver and be great or be a tall wide receiver and be great. But the thing about it is that quarterback position is a reactive position in, in many ways. So... You know, and when you're shorter and have link issues, uh, so to speak, you know, size matters. You know, as as women say, and when it, <laughs> especially when it comes to the cornerback position. So, unfortunately, that's one of those positions where size definitely does matter, and that's going to be that's that's the thing about the combat is Jinzo Ward definitely will test amazing. But if there's another cornerback that tests really well there, that has more length, that has more size, and those sort of traits then they could easily go above him, you know, if if, uh, if if that were to happen. So it's just a question of who that guy's going to be. Okay, now getting to combine numbers, um, you know, my pick for fastest 40 at the combine is going to be Dante Jackson. Uh, look, you run track at LSU. That's pretty much all I need to know about whether or not how <laughs> fast you are. But the other thing, uh, you know, the tape isn't fantastic. And, look, at LSU – it's not the program it should be. Uh, it, it just kills me. I mean, they get these elite athletes, and yet they're still playing, you know, 1980s football down there. But uh, here's one guy I didn't mention, Dante Jackson. Uh, the numbers, how they look in, but give me some guys also that you're looking forward, uh, looking to. Is it more a measurement or is it more a testing number thing when it comes to Indy? Yeah, well, when it comes to Dante Jackson, he wasn't the most productive guy. That's definitely... Nope not the I mean that's not his calling card he, he, he's going to run fast um, that's definitely going to be the thing uh, that, that he's going to do uh, but in terms of like Levi Wallace from Alabama is a guy that is because he already went to the senior bowl and, and put up pretty good measurements you know that was the big thing is he put up good length and different sort of things like that so if he adds on to that good testing for a guy his size, he could be a guy that kind of rises. And plus, he's an Alabama guy, so like he may have a torn labor, he may have this, but there's definitely going to be some. Uh, of course, he's got his own like uh, And then, of course, Dane uh, Kershank 
from Arizona is another guy that I'm kind of interested in terms of his testing just because he's been a guy that's just been really solid on film and throughout the process put up fairly decent measurables and I just think he's a guy that if he if he does have a good day testing wise which I think he might he's another guy that could kind of rise a little bit as far as fast as 40 you know it definitely could be Dante Jackson it could it could be Christian Kirk too. I kind of, I don't know. Oh, you I'm think he's that fast? I think he might. Well, he's he might putting. It, he, I tell you what, he's making his case on Twitter because anytime everybody brings up the, well, I don't see the game breaking speed. I see Christian Kirk's jumping right up in there. Well, you know, wide receiver isn't about running full speed every route. You know. No, of course. Like, uh, you know, you're definitely gonna, you know, you want to vary your speed up a little bit. You know, get those cornerbacks to to put him to sleep a bit, you know what I'm saying? But I I think Kirk has a very good shot, as good of a shot as Dante Jackson, uh, but that's just my general opinion based on what, because I've seen a lot of Christian Kirk, I've seen him, especially on special teams where you kind of see him get to full speed, and I think there's a very good shot that he could be the fastest 40, but it could be, it could be Dante Jackson too. Not it's just a uh, sleeper pick. All right, uh, guys, Locked On Cavs. Uh, look, coming out of the All-Star break, uh, apparently the All-Star game was yesterday. Apparently LeBron won another MVP. Fantastic. Uh, LeBron will never be a Jordan to me. But Chris Matting does a fantastic job at Locked On Cavaliers. Uh, new roster, all set to go for the second half. Check out Chris at his show. He does fantastic work over there. Uh, he, I know he's excited. Uh, he obviously, it was a kind of a sleepy first half of the Cavaliers. But uh, everybody seems excited for the second half. Uh, new additions. Hopefully, a little more time to gel here now, and we'll see. You know, if yeah, they can get themselves to another NBA Finals, and if the moves were enough to keep Mr. LeBron in Cleveland, believe land. So check out Chris Manning and Locked On Cavaliers. Jim, we're gonna dip on over to the safety position. From the from the Browns' perspective, they need a center fielder. I'm not sure if you have a Malik Hooker. I'm not sure if you have a Marcus Williams in this type of class. Um, just going from the pure numbers of it, uh, I think it's more maybe box safety type of class. Jordan Whitehead is kind of interesting. Comes with some baggage. We'll see how this new regime here in Cleveland handles this. The old regime, he probably wouldn't have been a you know part of their plans. But go ahead, talk a little bit on the safety class. Absolutely. Uh, when it comes to the free, at least if you're talking about a free safety guy, there's really two guys who produced like a above average free safety type. And what I mean by produced like that is that most free safeties that are very, very good free safeties, guys like Ed Reed, uh, guys guys like uh, Earl Thomas, uh, Jarius Bird, even. I mean, guys, remember Jarius Bird? I mean, yep. Jarius Bird was pretty I good. I remember his dad, too. God damn it, Jim. What are you doing to me? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but these are guys that kind of tested like them. You know, very good interception data, very good pass deflection data uh, from that kind of perspective. And there's really only two. It's, it's Deshaun Elliott from Texas and Minka Fitzpatrick. Now, Minka, of course, has said that he wants to play quarterback. His data does look a little bit better at cornerback. I mean, he kind of has... Jayden that Hurts. is agent speak. They know darn well to say cornerback. Come on now. Everybody knows to say that. I know. But his data looks a little bit better at cornerback. He never really played cornerback, though. That's only... Like, you're and basically taking the same data. And that's the thing. Is everybody wants to go with the Jalen Ramsey thing. But Jalen Ramsey's last year at Florida State, he played corner. 
And look, yeah. me, you, Bill, we went through this a thousand times. I would have kept Jalen at safety. Okay, I admit the L there. I do. But it, I am keeping Minka there just because he is the ultimate Swiss Army knife. Because you want to know what? If you lose a corner one week, you know what? All right, dude, you're going to play corner this week. I have a better safety option than I have a better number, you know, a better third corner option. I think Minka is more versatile, whereas I think Jalen graduated to just being a cornerback. Absolutely, and it and it also helps that Jalen Ramsey tested like a souped-up version of Nagy Osman. You know, that oh. always that always helps. You know, to, to to have that kind of athleticism at the cornerback position. And that's my only sort of question of Minka is if he goes to the combine and tests like Jalen Ramsey, which I don't think he will. But if I mean, he does, wants to bring up what he did in high school, and it, it seems like that was like thirty that was pounds a long time ago. ago. Exactly, that was thirty a long pounds time. ago. Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett ran a five flat forty in high school. Obviously, things changed. So, I mean, you know, yeah, like, you can't uh, you can't go with that. You got you know, look, that's why that's why the combine exists. Exactly. So like Minka, it's really a question if he goes into the combine, he tests like a safety, then I keep him at safety because that's the thing. A lot of times safeties are usually less athletic than. Uh, the quarterback position, you know, with good reason because you want your cornerbacks to line up with those wide receivers a lot of times. So, uh, you know, he's definitely got to kind of fits in that sort of category, but realistically, that that's the one thing I will say about this safety class uh, just as kind of an other note, is that there are a ton of box safeties in this you know, in this draft. Derwin James, and I don't have to mention him too much, but Derwin James definitely more I've of a you know, box safety type uh, yeah, Quinn Blanding is more box safety. Armani Watts from Texas A&M is kind of more. Jesse Bates from Wake Forest is a guy that I've kind of gotten a little, uh, not really laid on, but he's a guy who was kind of early dec- declaration that I didn't exactly expect, and he's more of a box safety type. So it's a very boxy group uh, of uh, safeties, but when it comes down to it, you know, you got Deshaun, El- Deshaun Elliott and Mika Fitzpatrick. Of course, Mika saying he wants to play cornerback, so you're very limited in your options. And that's also if the Browns decide to put your real peppers at strong safety because they were playing them a lot at, oh, you know, free safeties for whatever reason, even though most of this film was more of a box safety. But, uh, but yeah, it's just kind of confusing <laughs> sometimes. But, uh, but this is a very good uh, group of safeties, uh, you know, in, in terms of the guys that are going to be at the combine and everything else like that. But I think when it comes down to it, you are kind of limited when it comes to free safety types, at least in this particular draft class. Okay, before we let you roll here, Jim, obviously we've covered the defensive side. Now we're closer to the combine. Um, give me some names offensively that you're you – know, some of the offensive prospects, maybe one, two, three guys that you think uh, combine is huge for them. Absolutely. Uh, I, to me – James Washington from Oklahoma State. You know, he already had the Senior Bowl performance where you saw him and he just looked like a different. He looked like a, a guy going at a different speed. And we talked. We talked about this. We he kind of looked like a guy that Oklahoma State kind of misused because it was like four to five Yolo balls. Uh, you know, a game to James Washington when he was down in Mobile. He looked like a guy who was killing people on you know the intermediate five to ten yard routes. Yeah, and if you go to his 2016 tape, he was doing more of those intermediate, you know, the short routes. And then all of a sudden in 2017, they decided to just have him adjust to 
poorly thrown deep balls. <laughs> and I hate to put it that way, but like a lot of his film in 2017 was just him kind of adjusting to to nine, you know, nine route balls. So, you know, he's a guy that I just think if if he goes into the combine and tests as well as I think he's going to test uh, because he's because of that, then I think he's a guy who could really like be a really really big riser because you have all the film you have all the senior bowl stuff and then you add on top of that those other sort of things and i think that definitely can really really help him out a lot uh when it comes to that particular thing same thing goes with uh the tight end from penn state you know mike jasicki uh a guy that had, a guy another guy that had a very good uh, very strong senior bowl performance if he goes into the combine and tests uh Maybe not amazing, but if he, but if he at least he runs like a four seven forty, or gets close to it, and also does well in terms of other sort of things. Well, uh, I mean, you know, Jeffers is going to be all over it. And what I can tell you of is him as a New Jersey guy. He was a big time volleyball player, so I know Jeffers is, yep. is very excited. So he might see a nice vertical. Yeah, yeah, it's very possible that he, you know, that 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 uh, you know the vertical really. Uh, do you know do its thing in terms of him and then I guess the last guy I'll mention just to mention uh, running backs uh, Kalen Ballage from Arizona State another senior bowl guy but he's a guy where the athletic testing really has to come into question because the production wasn't exactly where it needs to be the film is very inconsistent with him as an inside runner but if he goes into the combine and he measures in you know if he's 220 plus pounds and he runs really really fast and he jumps really really high that is gonna really kind of help him out a lot you know from that kind of perspective so he's another guy that i'm 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 seeing going in there and having a big performance and that will kind of carry you know keep carrying him up you know because the thing about the draft process in general is you want to be in an upward trajectory you don't want to have something happen that drops you a bit and then you start to you know you don't want to have too much turbulence i guess is what i'm trying to say you know what i mean and uh, a lot of these guys, the guys I mentioned, have not had that much turbulence. It's just been upper trajectory. If the combine adds to it, it's, they're just going to keep going higher and higher and higher. Absolutely. That was a perfect way to put it. Uh, Locked on Browns, episode 167. My buddy James Coburn. Guys, check him out on Twitter. Follow him at Jim Metrics. Check out the YouTube Common Man Football, correct, Jim? Yep, Common Man Football on YouTube. On YouTube, and guys, of course, uh, you know, check out uh, you know all those links to the Amazon for the free agent primer that he's got going on as well. Uh, look, Jim puts a lot of work into this. This is no joke. Uh, you know, metric stuff, and you know, like like he said, you know, some of this stuff goes back to the '50s, some of it goes back to the '60s, some of it goes back to the '80s. He's not messing around with the numbers he does, and you know, with anything, it is a great tool to have. And Jim himself will even tell you. There's still film involved, okay, guys. There's that part of it, which is which is crucial. But you get to see the way these guys measure up against guys from the past, and then you also, you know, guys, if you want to watch some film, you're more than welcome to do that to see where they actually play within the game as well. So to my man James Coburn, guys, like I said, follow everything he's doing. Follow the show at Locked On Browns. Follow myself personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Guys, can I thank you so much? We've got a lot coming this week. I'm putting together another banner week for you guys. Appreciate all the listeners. Uh, We'll talk to you all tomorrow night. Let's go Browns. Bye.